0: Good morning, good morning to you and many more. Good morning, good morning, good morning and welcome, welcome, welcome to Daring Dialogues. I'm your host today, Shante Charles. I want to thank you first of all for your time and for your attention. We do know here and recognize that time is money, so anytime you are spending time with us, we do value that. We thank you. We appreciate you for tuning in to our segments. Today is Teachable Tuesday, but it's also Giving Tuesday, and so if you would like to support what we do here, if you're listening to us by Spotify, some of the ways that you can help to support the program there is to become a subscriber. You can become a subscriber on Spotify um, for as little as 99 cents, I believe, per month. Or if you are watching us through Facebook, you can become a subscriber on our Black Table Talk page for just $2.99 a month. That is less than the cost of a cup of coffee, (laughs) especially these days. So if you would like to support what we do here, Please utilize those actions. Um, Or if you're interested in our greater community that's going to be launching some private teaching sessions on Patreon, you can join us at patreon.com forward slash daring dialogues. You can join as a free person to check out what we have to offer as a free member on Patreon. And then you can also check out our tiers to get further involved, and if you really want to um, have a greater contact with myself, with the things that I offer outside of the social media platform, patreon.com is going to be the place where you can access that. As we are getting into our readings today, I do want to let you know a couple of books that are out. As you know, that's what we do here. We read aloud, we talk, we discuss. Um, And we are hoping that we are introducing our viewers and introducing book lovers and readers uh, to some new material, material you might not have read before or might not have discussed before. These are some books that are out now. These are new releases. And so um, let's take a look. Black Love Letters is a new release. We're probably going to dive into this. Uh, maybe February of 2024. It is a remarkable a collection of letters celebrating the fortitude and grandeur of Black love with contributions from Michael Eric Dyson, Ann Reed, Reverend Sharpton, Dr. Imani Perry, and others. Black love letters. Things that need to be said by us, to us. I picked this up because I have been really trying to get into and improve my cooking. And so I thought this was a beautiful, beautiful way to do that. It's called For the Culture, Phenomenal Black Women in Films, in Food, Interviews, Inspiration, and Recipes. And so it is very, very lovely, very lovely. It's got recipes in here. And then it's also got some of the um, women and, in cooking, in the history of cooking, and it's got recipes interspersed all throughout the book. So if you know someone who likes to cook, you know someone who's interested in African American cuisine and the history of African American cuisine and recipes, this might be a great, great gift for them or for yourself, like this is for me. Because I want to get into it some more Um, with my increasing my uh, repertoire in the kitchen. So, for the culture. All right. A classic. When this probably came out, it was probably like the autobiography of Malcolm X, which we're going to get into in a moment. It was probably not well received by people outside of our community. But Huey P. Newton, this is most people feel like if you want to get started on understanding movements, you want to get started on understanding resistance and what resistance work looks like. This is a book that a lot of people recommend that you pick up Huey P. Newton, Revolutionary Suicide. And, you know, the Black Panthers have come so far in terms of recognition and understanding what their mission and purpose was that now, guess what? This is now considered a classic by the establishment, okay? <laughs> this was not considered a classic when when it came out, but it has been considered now a classic, something to read that's approved by the establishment. So that's very, very telling, <laughs> all right? Another book that is new out, Tupac. This is, and I've read a couple of other uh, works by Tupac himself, and then um, some co- commemorative things. But this is Tupac Shakur, The Authorized Biography. Yeah, I've been doing some study for on Tupac for a couple of years now. So this is going to be very interesting to compare with things I've already read about him versus what's in here. And let's see. The Color of Dance. This is a page that I follow, and the founder has come out with a coffee table book called The Color of Dance, A Celebration of Diversity and Inclusion in the World of Ballet. And again, if you're a person that enjoys coffee table books, You know, it's got her images that she's collected and gathered, and of course, statements by different ballerinas, all right, about the importance of what dance means to them. And finally, we could not make it to his actual signing, which was at Mahogany Books in D.C but we did get a signed copy of LL Cool J presents the streets win 50 years of hip-hop greatness so um, again if you're interested in music in music history um as told from the perspective of us you might want to check this out obviously this is a collector's item collector's edition um But yeah, so this is out now. All right. So I hope I have piqued your interest in some reads. For those of you who are building a library or those of you who are um, avid readers, these can also, you know, if you feel like, man, I just don't have any more space for any more books, you can also check these out from the library. Um, Once they hit stores, they're usually one or two copies are, you know, hit your local library. And so you just get your library card, call up and say, hey, I want to get in line to reserve for the culture or I want to get in line to reserve the new Tupac Shakur autobiography and they will um, set you up to do that. So sometimes when we feel like, man, I I don't have enough money, right, to be investing the way I want to invest in books, one of the other things that you can do for authors is request their work at your local library. And if they don't have it, request that they get it stopped in your local library. All of those things help authors. All right, let's look at our Black Pearl for today. And today is November 28th. Yesterday I had a birthday and I'm very happy about it. I'm very glad to be alive and uh, very thankful for those of you who celebrated my new leaf (laughs) and walking into my next year of life. Thank you very much. Today's topic in Black Pearls is pride. Pride. This quote comes from Maxine Waters. Aunt Jemima is the black woman who cooked and cleaned, struggled, brought up her own family and a white family. And if I'm ashamed of Aunt Jemima, her head rag, her hips, her color, then I'm ashamed of my people. We are the descendants of the enslaved. This does not diminish the value of our people. Our ancestors helped to build this country, worked its fields, laid its railway lines, fought its wars. There was a time I would never wave the American flag. As I got older, I realized my response discredited the contributions of my ancestors. We have every reason to feel proud of our heritage in its totality. No one can mock us when we refuse to be mocked. On this day, take a few minutes to remember the many contributions African Americans made to the building of this country. Embrace those contributions and proclaim your entitlement to all that is good that this country can provide. And that's that on that. All right, we're hopping back into Black Voices. And I am going to be a little short today on my reading just to give some opportunity for some conversation. But we're going to continue to look at um, chapter one of the Autobiography of Malcolm X. We are only reading chapter one. We encourage you to get the book and read the entire story of Malcolm. And then we're going to come to a good stopping place. And let's see, I think we might be able to finish this chapter today. So let's read. It was about this time that the large dark man from Lansing began visiting. I don't remember how or where he and my mother met. It may have been through some mutual friends. I don't remember what the man's profession was. In 1935 in Lansing, Negroes didn't have anything you could call a profession. But the man, big and black, looked something like my father. I can remember his name, but there's no need to mention it. He was a single man, and my mother was a widow only 36 years old. The man was independent. Naturally, she admired that. She was having a hard time disciplining us, and a big man's presence alone would help. And if she had a man to provide, it would send the state people away forever. We all understood without ever saying much about it, or at least we had no objection. We took it in stride, even with some amusement among us, that when the man came, our mother would be all dressed up in the best that she could. She still was a good-looking woman, and she would act differently, light-hearted and laughing as we hadn't seen her act in years. It went on for about a year, I guess, and then about 1936 or 1937, the man from Lansing jilted my mother suddenly. He just stopped coming to see her. From what I later understood, he finally backed away from taking on the responsibility of those eight mouths to feed. He was afraid of so many of us. To this day, I can see the trap that mother was in, saddled with all of us, and I can also understand why he would shun taking on such a tremendous responsibility. But it was a terrible shock to her. It was the beginning of the end of reality for my mother. When she began to sit around and walk around talking to herself, almost as though she was unaware that we were there, it became increasingly terrifying. The state people saw her weakening. That was when they began to de- the definite steps to take me away from home. They began to tell me how nice it was going to be at Gohanna's home, where the Gohannases and Big Boy and Miss Adcock had all said how much they liked me and would like to have me live with them. I liked all of them too, but I didn't want to leave Wilfred. I looked up to and admired my big brother. I didn't want to leave Hilda, who was like my second mother, or Philbert. Even in our fighting, there was a feeling of brotherly union, or Reginald especially, who was weak with his hernia condition, and who looked up to me as his big brother, who looked out for him, as I looked up to Wilfred, and I had nothing either against the babies, Yvonne, Wesley, and Robert. As my mother talked to herself more and more, she gradually became less responsive to us, and less responsible. The house became less tidy. We began to be more unkempt, and usually now Hilda cooked. We children watched our anchor giving way. It was something terrible that you couldn't get your hands on, yet you couldn't get away from. It was a sensing that something bad was going to happen. We younger ones leaned more and more heavily on the relative strength of Wilfred and Hilda, who were the oldest. When finally I was sent to the Gohanes' home, at least in a surface way, I was glad. I remember that when I left home with the state man, my mother said one thing. Don't let them feed him any pig. It was better, in a lot of ways, at the Gohanases. Big Boy and I shared his room together and we hit it off nicely. He just wasn't the same as my blood brothers. The Gohaneses were very religious people. Big Boy and I attended church with them. They were sanctified holy rollers now. The preachers and congregations jumped even higher and shouted even louder than the Baptists. I had known. They sang at the top of their lungs and swayed back and forth and cried and moaned and beat on tambourines and chanted. It was spooky with ghosts and spirituals and hanks seeming to be in the very atmosphere when finally we all came out of the church going back home. The Gohanases and Mrs. Adcock loved to go fishing and some Saturdays, Big Boy and I would go along. I had changed schools now to Lansing's West Junior High School it was right in the heart of the Negro community and a few white kids were there, but Big Boy didn't mix much with any of our schoolmates and I didn't either. And when we went fishing, neither he nor I liked the idea of just sitting and waiting for the fish to jerk the cork under the water or make the tight line quiver when we fished that way. I figured there should be some smarter way to get the fish, though we never discovered what it might be. Mr. Gohannes was close cronies with some other men who some saturdays would take me and big boy with them hunting rabbits i had my father's 22 caliber rifle my mother had said it was all right for me to take it with me the old man had a set rabbit hunting strategy that they always used. usually when a dog jumps a rabbit and the rabbit gets away that rabbit will always somehow instinctively run in a circle and retunes, return sooner or later past the very spot where he was originally jumped Well the old men would just sit and wait in hiding somewhere for the rabbit to come back then get their shots at him. I got to thinking about it and finally I thought of a plan. I would separate from them and big boy and I would go to a point where I figured that the rabbit returning would have to pass me first. It worked like magic. I began to get three and four rabbits before they got one. The astonishing thing was that none of the old men ever figured out why. They outdid themselves, exclaiming what a sure shot I was. I was about 12 then. All I had done was to improve on their strategy, and it was the beginning of a very important lesson in life. that any time you find someone more successful than you are, especially when you're both engaged in the same business, you know, they're doing something that you aren't. I would return home to visit fairly often. Sometimes Big Boy and one or another or both of the Gohanises would go with me, sometimes not. I would be glad when some of them did go because it made the ordeal easier. Yes, we are we are listening and reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. Soon the state people were making plans to take over all of my mother's children. She talked to herself nearly all of the time now, and there was a crowd of new white people entering the picture, always asking questions. They would even visit me at the Gohanases. They would ask me questions out on the porch or sitting out in their cars. Eventually, my mother suffered a complete breakdown, and the court orders were finally signed. They took her to the state mental hospital at Kalamazoo. It was 70-some miles from Lansing, about an hour and a half, on the bus. A Judge McClellan. Cleland in Lansing, had authority over me and all of my brothers and sisters. We were state children, court wards. He had the full say-so over us. A white man in charge of a black man's children. Nothing but legal, modern slavery, however kindly intentioned. My mother remained in the same hospital at Kalamazoo for about 26 years. Later, when I was still growing up in Michigan, I would go to visit her often Nothing that I can imagine could have moved me as deeply as seeing her pitiful state. In 1963, we got my mother out of the hospital and she now lives there in Lansing with Filbert and his family. It was so much worse than if it had been a physical sickness for which a cause might be known, medicine given, a cure effected. Every time I visited her, when finally they led her, a case, a number, back inside from where we had been sitting together, I felt worse. My last visit, when I knew I would never come to see her again, there was in 1952. I was 27. My brother, Philbert, had told me that on his last visit, she had recognized him somewhat. In spots, he said. But she didn't recognize me at all. She stared at me. She didn't know who I was. Her mind, when I tried to talk to reach her, was somewhere else. I asked, Mama, do you know what day it is? She said, staring all the people have gone. I can't describe how I felt. The woman who had brought me into the world and nursed me and advised me and chastised me and loved me, didn't know me. It was as if I was trying to walk up the side of a hill of feathers. I looked at her, I listened to her talk, but there was nothing I could do. I truly believe that if ever a state social agency destroyed a family, it destroyed ours. We wanted and tried to stay together. Our home didn't have to be destroyed, but the welfare, the courts and their doctor gave us the one, two, three punch and ours was not the only case of this kind. I knew I wouldn't be back to see my mother again because it could make me a very vicious and dangerous person knowing how they had looked at us as numbers and as a case in their book, not as human beings. And knowing that my mother in there was a statistic that didn't have to be, that existed because of a society's failure, hypocrisy, greed, and lack of mercy and compassion. Hence, I have no mercy or compassion in me for a society that will crush people and then penalize them for not being able to stand up under the weight. I've rarely talked to anyone about my mother, for I believe that I'm capable of unaliving a person without hesitation who happened to make the wrong kind of remark about my mother so I purposely don't make any opening for some fool to step into. Back then, when our family was destroyed in 1937, Wilfred and Hilda were old enough so that the state let them stay on their own in the big four-room house that my father had built. Filvert was placed with another family in Lansing, a Mrs. Hackett, while Reginald and Wesley went to live with a family called Williams, who were friends of my mother's. And Yvonne and Robert went to live with a West Indian family named McGuire. Separated though we were, all of us maintained fairly close touch around Lansing, in school and out, whenever we could get together. Despite the artificially created separation and distance between us, we still remained very close in our feelings toward each other. Man. That just needs a say moment. Now, we could say in some ways that the systems have somewhat minorly improved, right? But there's still so much to do. There's still so much work to do um, when it comes to child protective services, when it comes to placement of children, um, when it comes to services offered to parents. Things have gotten a little bit better, but there's always room for improvement. Um, Malcolm said some very, very powerful things about His childhood he said some powerful things about family and connection and the fact that they desired to stay together but the powers that be at the time conspired against them remaining as a family to the point where he felt like they were responsible for his mother's mental breakdown um And that is a very, very um, touchy subject with a lot of people, um, especially people who are dealing with parents who are, you know, working through their mental illness and, you know, their mental health. A lot of what Malcolm talked about can be referred to, and this is another book I have called Racial Weathering. There was a weathering. There was a wearing down of his mother so his thing was you know rather than them trying to actually offer her support they were looking for ways to pull them apart as a family so rather than looking for ways to keep them together malcolm is telling us adamantly that he felt like the system was responsible for the deterioration um of his family and so now I can understand why he and other people would say, hey, it's a little bit hypocritical for you to be talking about the fatherlessness problem, you know, what's happening with single mothers, you know, all of this stuff. It's, it's a little hypocritical for you to be saying that these are the problems when you are part of creating the problems that you see. A little bit hypocritical. Right. Um, So, yeah, that was chapter one of the autobiography of Malcolm X. When We come back next week. We're going to pick something else from this book. Again, the book is called Black Voices, an anthology of African-American literature. And I don't know, we might look at some poetry next time. There's lots of poetry in here. So we might take a look at some poetry on next time. If you would like to respond to the reading or respond to the new release books that we shared earlier in the broadcast, feel free to click on the camera and I will bring you on. We've got about a good uh, five to ten minutes here before I have to end for today. So let's... Hopefully, we can get you added on. If you are listening by Anchor, Spotify, Google Play, I want to thank you for your time and attention. Remember, light is the most daring opposition to darkness, so continue to go out and be light. Take care, be well, and be light.